0: Now.
1: Three, two, one. Go. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Cool Down Time Podcast. This is episode fifty. And I'm your graphically impressive host of the show. I go by Marco, and I'm joined. Well, I'm not really joined by anybody right now. (laughs) If you've been paying attention to our official uh, Twitter and Instagram accounts, you know that uh, my longtime friend and co-host of the show, Pablo, has um, welcomed new life into the world. Uh, He and his lovely wife have uh, welcomed their, their, their son into the world 12 days early. Early access, indeed. And uh, as you'd expect, Pablo's taking some time off to get acclimated and lose lots of sleep and uh, change a lot of diapers, get peed on and all that good stuff that comes with parenthood. I'm just going to talk about some games. <laughs> I've already I've already passed all that hard stuff. I'm on the you know the, the, the three nager phase with my daughter. so um, but congrats to him and his wife. I'm, I'm really excited for him. Uh, The baby's doing great so far from what I've heard, but, um, you know, the show must go on. So um, before you skip this episode, don't worry, Pablo is still going to be here, not just in spirit, but also um, he is going to be checking in later on in the show for our checkpoint chat. So you will get to hear Pablo's soft, velvety, chaotic voice in all its glory. uh, So don't you worry. Um, But in the meantime, thanks for checking out this episode and also um thank you for your patience you know uh, uh because his baby came a little early we were uh, supposed to record an episode um last week but things changed pretty drastically obviously and we didn't get a chance to do one so i'm um, sorry for missing a week but uh we appreciate your patience and obviously all the kind words and uh the likes that we got from some of you uh in support of my boy here uh, having his baby so um we're going to keep going, man. We're going to keep rocking. And uh, this episode's going to be a fun one. I'm going to be covering loadouts and hit points uh, by my lonesome, but don't worry. You know me. I'm going to make it entertaining. You ain't got to worry about that. I'm a little, you know, I'm a little extra and I'm a little something wrong with me in the head, but it's cool. Uh, so I'll make it fun. And then uh, later on in the show, uh, Pablo's going to jump back in and um, get started with our checkpoint chat, which is a pretty fun one. Uh, it's a sequel to a checkpoint chat we've done in the past uh, called Games That Define Us. And uh, that one's going to be pretty cool. It's, uh, we're picking five additional games that, um, you know, help shape and mold who we are as gamers and uh, what, what kind of helped shape our taste in games, our favorite games, the, the games that kind of suck. The games we're a little embarrassed to say we like, so you, you're definitely going to... Some of y'all are going to check me for some of my picks. I know, I know it's going to happen, but it's all right. So uh, stick with us, and, and I think you'll enjoy this episode for sure. Uh, if you do like what you hear, give our podcast a sub. Uh, we drop new episodes weekly on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the other popular streaming apps you love. We're we're there when you need us, so you got no reason to not subscribe, unless you hate children. All right, if you hate kids, if you if you hate Pablo's kid, then don't subscribe to the show. We don't want you anyway. But if you like, if you if you love Pablo, if you support healthy, happy families, you need to subscribe to our show, or else I'm just going to guilt trip you it's that simple i'm petty like that i I was forged in the fires of mount petty to say that to you today all right (laughs) i told you something's wrong with me uh you could also uh follow us on instagram at cooldown time podcast or twitter at cooldown time pod to stay connected with your boys in between episodes um but let's go ahead and get this started off with uh, loadouts
0: all systems nominal
1: loadouts ready Alright, so, um, for me, I have been, um, I've been playing two games, um, number one is I have, uh, I've actually finished Elden Ring, guys, uh, first time I ever finished any kind of Souls-like game ever, um, historically never been a big fan of those types of games, never really liked the challenge, never wanted that kind of challenge, um, but you know, as we talked about in episodes past, uh, me and Pablo, that is, um, Elden Ring just hit different for me. Um, I know that the topic of Elden Ring is a bit exhausted right now, so I'm not going to spend too much time talking about it, but I will say that I've really, really enjoyed, um, the experience that I was given. Uh, 93 hours I put into this one, um, incredible time, unforgettable moments, amazing achievements and, and, you know, just memorable battles, everything that I really didn't think would ever resonate with me as a non-Souls, you know, Elden Ring lover or admirer of any kind, I got pleasantly surprised, man, and this turned out to be um, the kind of game that made me have to look at my all-time greatest games list um, on my Google Docs or, or Google spreadsheet and go, hmm. (laughs) <laughs> is this a top 10 game for me? Um, now I will say me and Pablo are going to have a, uh, review episode. Uh, we were actually, you know, hoping to, you know, knock a few of those out, um, before he went out, um, you know, on, on, on paternity leave with his, uh, his son. Uh, we didn't get a chance to, but we will do a deeper dive into, uh, reviewing Elden Ring. But I will say, um, what an experience, man. Um, it has some flaws. Um, particularly when it comes to, I would say, performance, um, certainly multiplayer. I think that is uh, almost objectively not good. Um, I would say some of the late game balancing is a little out of whack at times. Um, It's one of those games where you realize, oh, I kind of have to farm in order to beat this game. And I, I never like when it feels unofficially mandatory that you have to farm in the game to um, basically... And farming, for those of you who aren't you know aware, it's just you know going to a certain place in a game to repeat a certain thing over and over again, whether it's a battle or some other kind of thing that will grant you XP over and over and over again, uh, or in this case, runes, to keep leveling up your character and essentially come into boss fights um, at or above your recommended level and what I found was that towards the end of this game I was kind of breezing through every mainline boss not breezing through but I wasn't having a lot of trouble trouble Um, and most of the you know the side bosses and stuff like that were not much problem for me up until the last two or three and all of a sudden I just felt like I was not doing anything any like I was just getting little slivers of damage and I'm like okay is level is level 131 not enough my boy, like, what, what is this? Um, so I, I basically refused to farm. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'd, I'd never do that in a game unless it's like a destiny kind of like loot cave thing where it's more fun than anything. Um, and I just decided to go ahead and get some co-op help and, and grind it out and hope that <laughs> some random could, uh, kind of carry me through the last few boss fights. And thankfully I was able to find some people that could help. Um, but, you know, I, I think what I was ready to do was kind of, you know, roll credits on that game and um, maybe start a new build and and, and run through the game again, because I, I I love that game so much that I just kind of can't imagine not playing it or, or not having it in my rotation right now. Um, so I've actually started another uh, another game uh, with a different type of build, and I'm working through that currently. And uh having just as much fun, man. So like I said, I don't want to dwell on Elden Ring too much because again, it's been talked about to death. But uh boy is that game great. Um certainly um it it's it's knocking on the door of my top ten uh games of all time. So that'll that'll tell you something. Um second game I'm playing and and, and I <laughs> I I I wish Pablo was here to talk with me about this because I know he's been waiting for me to finish this. But um I decided to go back to Halo Infinite's campaign. And I actually finished the campaign. Um, I had stopped playing the campaign because there is an issue with all of the cinematics in the game, um, which is causing basically a really bad stuttering effect that happens on screen. And if you're someone who is uh, what they call frame sensitive, like I am... um, that type of problem can be disorienting, it can cause eye strain, some people even get nauseous, it's, it's, it's really not this little minor thing for some people. And so, I decided to wait back in December to finish the game until it was patched, or wait until the game was patched to finish the game, is what I meant to say. And the day never came. It's uh, almost the end of April now, so like, <laughs> it's, 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 not, it's not happening. What are you doing? What's going on? 343. Well, your boy figured out how to solve the problem of cutscene stutter all by myself. (laughs) I think I'm the only person that figured out what was going on. I actually submitted a a, a ticket to uh, Halo support to tell them how to fix the problem. And hopefully, you know, it'll actually get addressed and maybe patched and, and you guys can all thank me for finding what happened. But, um... Nevertheless, uh, it would take too much time to explain how I figured it out. That's not what you guys care about. Um, The campaign itself. Man, I said it a few episodes ago when we were talking about Halo, um, the TV series. And I'm going to say it again. It is an extremely weird time to be a Halo fan. It really, really is. On one hand, it it's great. On the other hand, it's thoroughly disappointing. And that just seems to be the case with all things Halo right now. Halo Infinite's gameplay, the gunplay, the, the, the core combat, the gameplay loop, if you shall. I, I hate that term, but... We'll say it here, for lack of a better term. It's A1. It's the best Halo has ever felt. Controlled. Moved. It's the best Halo has ever felt. Boy, is it great to play that game. The act of moving around, shooting people, playing that game is just top of the class. I actually like the story. I thought the story was pretty good. I thought it was better than pretty good. A lot of people said, oh, you know, I didn't, I was lukewarm on the story. It wasn't enough story. It was, I thought it was fine. I thought the story was fine. I thought they wrapped up a lot of stuff very well with the Cortana story arc. I think without getting into spoiler territory, I think it was time for them to wrap up the whole Cortana melodrama. I think they did a good job. I really liked those characters. I liked. I liked a lot of what Chief was and the weapon and in Echo 216. I thought that's a great trio moving forward for the series. Wasn't so much in love with Esherim, the the main villain of the game. He was very, you know, I'm gonna have a speech every twelve seconds on a projector screen, kind of boring to me. And he's very slow when it's with his speech and very oh, I'm going to find like oh man. That was a little much for me. But I thought the story was fine. My biggest problem with that game is the campaign design itself. I'm going to be in the minority when I say this, and I know it, and I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I think the open world design for Halo isn't the best. I know that's not popular. I know people love the transition into open world, and even in the beginning, I did too. I was open world McGee when it came, but hey, I love being out here, give me the grapple hook, give me the, you know, the vehicles, and we can drive here and do that and drive there and do that. I thought that was so dope for the first few hours. And then it started to turn into the typical open world gobbledygook icons on a map go clear this out go go assassinate this target go collect that collectible go um, go to this manufacturing plant and destroy all the things and it just started to become very routine and it does that thing that open world games do where narratively there's a sense of urgency there's things that are on the line and Lives are at stake, and here you are, doot to do and collecting Mjolnir armor, (laughs) you know. And so, I think, in a lot of ways, 343 sort of failed to justify the purpose narratively of being in that open world and, and really making it make sense from a storytelling standpoint. It's great from a gameplay standpoint to be able to go here, go there at your leisure. But that sense of urgency that the narrative is trying to, you know, pummel down your, your your throat is is a bit lost in the doldrums of just kind of wandering around and taking out these little clusters of enemies here and there and you know, collecting this and collecting that and oh there's a target over there and it's just very la da, if that makes any sense. Later on in the game things start to get linear again. And, and again, I'm in the minority here, but I actually liked when it got linear. I felt like that was when the game felt the most focused to me. It felt like everything was more intentional. However, boy did that level design suck. Everything was the same metallic walls and you know, automatic opening doors, and it was just sort of very mundane looking stuff. A lot of the awe and wonder that we've seen in previous Halos in terms of level design, and 343 always been pretty bad at this, to be honest. This is probably the worst of the worst. It was a lot of metallic facilities, <laughs> you know, and it just wasn't very inspiring to navigate the campaign structure when it got linear was bad. lot of cut corners. Go here and do this thing four times in four different places across the map so that you can pro- progress the story and do the big thing. And then once you do the big thing, then you got to do three more little things to do the big thing that comes up after that. You know, And it's very, very formulaic like that. <clears throat> Wasn't a fan. Some of the later missions were glorified firefight modes or horde modes. And it all just felt very, very um, like that's where the game kind of struggled in development. Like they really had to sort of cut a lot of content and just make things more compact and confined, but keep it feeling like it was interesting. It reminded me a lot of Halo 2's development where you can tell, okay, you guys kind of got me in this spot a little too long here doing the same thing. Is that because you guys don't have anything else? Did you not build out enough of this area? Why am I still here in this position? And a lot of that holds true in the campaign. So by the time it was over, and adding on some really disappointing boss fights, which I thought were pretty weak overall, I just kind of found myself going eh to the campaign. Again, I like the story. And generally speaking, I think the open world from a gameplay standpoint was, was getting a bit drab too soon. But things just sort of fell apart for me. And I I, I walked away from that going, wow, I, I really kind of only like the story about this game. <laughs> Everything else was just all right. And and once again, we're in this position with another Halo where you just kind of walk away going, that was all right. Oh, the single player's all right. Multiplayer's uh, all right. And I'm just tired of Halo being in that all right kind of status. And we'll get into that more in, in Hit Points in a second. But very lukewarm on the campaign. Um, very lukewarm on Halo Infinite as a whole in terms of its entire product. Single player and multiplayer. Just a weird state of, 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 of Halo right now. The TV show sucks. This campaign is, is hovering around mediocrity. And it's like, man, this is, this is Microsoft's tentpole pr- franchise. I promise I'm going to get off my soapbox, but while everybody's sitting here championing Game Pass, Game Pass, how awesome is Game Pass? How awesome is Game Pass? So awesome. So awesome. And it is, guys. But when this is what you're doing to your most important franchise you have, and it's struggling to emerge out of mediocrity, that's a problem. So I get it. Everyone's high on Microsoft right now. Everyone's very, very high on Xbox, as well they should be. But Halo, man, we'll get into what they're working on the multiplayer side uh, in just a bit. But this campaign was kind of just, uh, eh, and I expected better. With that being said, guys, let's go ahead and move on into the next segment of the show, which is our news segment called Hit Points. For breaking news, rumors, and booty juice, it's time for Hit Points. Get a sip of my sparkling water here. I'm doing a lot of talking, my guys. <laughs> I'm going to be raspy as hell. I'm going to sound like Ja Rule by the time I'm done recording this. If you guys don't know who that is, it's a rapper. He does the hip hops. Anyways, let's move on. <laughs> we have five news items in our hit points this week. Starting with uh, news item number one on the four year anniversary of God of War 2018, Corey Barlog shared a brief update regarding the state of its highly anticipated sequel, God of War Ragnarok. Balrog stated that God of War Ragnarok's production is going well, but more gameplay footage isn't ready to be shown off just yet. He stated, quote, We are perfectionists. Everyone is tightening up the graphics on level 3, end quote, before promising that the game would resurface as soon as humanly possible, which, of course, has led many to speculate that Ragnarok is, in fact, destined... For a 2023 delay. So. The big question here. Folks is. is How is all this looking? Right? Where is God of War Ragnarok? Where is it? What is it? Why is it? When is it? What's all the is it's of this game? (laughs) And. um, Here's what I have to say. I want to play this game. When it is done. I think I speak for very many gamers out there when I say that a little tired of playing new games that come out unfinished, unpatched, with noticeable glaring issues, bugs, and balancing issues, and the whole nine. So as far as I'm concerned, don't show me anything. I think this is the right move, guys. I know we're all... Hey, look, we're all excited about Ragnarok. We all want to play Ragnarok as soon as possible. I'm one of them. And I didn't even love, love God of War 2018 like that. I really liked it, but I didn't love, love it. But even I'm like, yo, I want this game. But I want it when it's done. And I don't want to see unfinished builds or vertical slices that aren't part of the final product. I don't want all that. I want it it when it's ready. And I think that if any studio has earned the right to say, trust us, we got you, I think it's Santa Monica. I think Corey Balrog has has been more than trustworthy when it comes to delivering great experiences. This guy has an, an incredible track record. So whether this game comes out in early 2023, even late 2023, it doesn't matter to me yeah, it would suck to not have that come out towards the end of this year. That would be unfortunate for Sony. But what would be more unfortunate for Sony is forcing it to come out early, knowing full well this thing ain't ready. And then you got another, sorry, it's out, but pardon our dust. We promise we're going to make it right. And another apology tour from another big budget game that didn't come out well. And I don't think Sony wants to go through that kind of path. And they've been, for the most part, pretty good about Steering clear from those types of issues. You know, Horizon Forbidden West has had some graphical bugs and some issues here and there, but it was never anything truly devastating to the experience. And I think Sony is really, really big on making sure that there is some some sort of polish that you can expect from a from a PlayStation product. Maybe maybe not perfection. You know, but but at least a certain reaching a certain tier of quality. You might not love the game but hey, it works. <laughs> you know what I mean? So hey, I'm 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 all for this. It's all good with me. We'll see it when it's time. News item number 2. After rumors and speculation surfaced that Kojima Productions could be the next Sony acquisition, Hideo Kojima took to Twitter to refute those claims, citing that his studio will in fact remain fully independent now sony acquisition rumors have since shifted from kojima productions to from software the makers of elden ring and of course the dark souls trilogy so the question i i I, i'm asking myself here is how does this look for all the parties involved in this kojima productions sony and, and and from software now, I'll start with getting from software out of the way first. The cost of the brick's gone up. <laughs> you know, uh, shout out to the Iron Lords podcast for saying that. It's, it's true. They have officially made the kind of game with the kind of success and critical to claim that has made their asking price understandably high. We don't know how high. We don't even know if they want to be bought, but if they were in the market to be acquired, they're not coming cheap because you can't find a studio that can make an Elden Ring like From Software can. So they know their worth, they know their value, and hey, play ball. So more power to them if they want to be bought. Hey, get bought by the right group and ask for ask for the money you deserve because Elden Ring is is Elden Ring is that game, and Miyazaki is him. Okay, when it comes to PlayStation. And there's their aspect of all this. I'm I'm kind of neutral. Um, you know, we, we've heard rumors that there is a, a, a relatively big acquisition that is in the works right now with Sony. And I expect we're going to hear this sooner than later. Uh, and maybe it is uh, from software for, for, for all we know. Or maybe it could be uh, Square. Maybe it can be Konami. Maybe it could be, you know, I've even heard Take Two. Uh, as as a possibility, which would be insane and not cheap, <laughs> but um, I think when it comes to them, I, I'm I'm just gonna wait and see. I don't really have a lot to say about the Sony side of things. I just want them to make the right choice, and um, it'll be interesting to see whether they're going to uphold the uh, the same sort of uh, keeping it multi platform type of strategy that they did with uh, with Destiny or not Destiny uh, Bungie with Destiny. Um, that'll be interesting to watch. Now, I got some things to say about Kojima Productions, you guys. It's going to get a little, it's going to get a little spicy. It's got to get a little spicy. I'm not really, uh, I'm not really all that high on Kojima right now. I don't really like what's going on there. It's rubbing me the wrong way. If I'm Kojima Productions, if I'm Hideo Kojima, I would be pounding on the door of Sony to say, please buy us. I'm begging Sony. If I'm Kojima, I'm taking off my cool looking shades and putting down my cool Twitter account. And I'm, 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 I'm coming in there humble with a humble voice. Uh, will you buy me? <laughs> now let me tell you why Kojima Productions is for the streets this it's one thing to call yourself independent it's another thing to be for the streets it wasn't all that long ago that we heard that Kojima Productions was whoring themselves out to the highest bidder We're hearing that Kojima Productions is trying to pitch a game to Google Stadia. Google the Stadia. (laughs) Does that sound like a studio that is happily independent or does that sound like a studio that is desperate? You tell me. Next thing you know, you hear Kojima's talking to Phil Spencer about trying to pitch that same game over at Xbox. And apparently, Phil's listening. Kojima's a hoe. He's a, <laughs> he's a full-blown, nasty hoe. He's walking around with stilettos on the side. He's, he's walking the track. He is a hoe right now. That kind of model of of pitching your games and you, first and foremost, if the Stadia rumors are true and you couldn't get them to take your game, there's something wrong here. I'm sorry. Google Stadia is a hop, skip and a sneeze away from being on life support, if not already. And you couldn't work out an agreement with them. I thought you were him, Mr. Kojima. What happened? Phil Spencer, Xbox. Apparently there's a deal in the making or it's already been a verbal agreement. Well, show us something then. What is your game? How are you able to stay financially stable when all you've made is Death Stranding, which came out, I think, in 2019 and a director's cut? Where is all your money coming from? How are you going to stay in business to make AAA games at the quality we've come to expect from you when you've got one name, or, or sorry, one game under your belt? You can't afford, if you're Kojima, to keep playing around and trying to whore yourself out. You need to find a home. Because, fam, and I've said it on the podcast before, I'll say it again. I believe, me, this man hasn't made a great game since Metal Gear Solid 3. I think 4 was a narrative nightmare. Metal Gear Solid 5 was an unfinished disaster. And Death Stranding, I know people like it. I'm not one of them. I hate to be so cliche and call it a walking sim, a FedEx simulator, but man, if it didn't have all the symptoms. And even if you want to refute that opinion, you got to at least admit the the reaction's been pretty mixed. So you don't exactly have the same aura if you're Kojima that you used to have. So the fact that you want to sit here and plant your flag down and say you are independent, I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D... All that stuff is cute, but bro, you ran to Google Stadia though. All right, all right, all right let me let me let me get off that because i I, I want to make sure I'm getting this through clear. Kojima Productions has a lot to prove. And if you're Sony, I think it makes total sense to not want to buy his studio. Sony was the one that funded the new Kojima Productions after his fallout from Konami. Which is starting to look like Konami had a case to make against this dude. But I'll leave that alone. Sony funds his new studio... In his new game, which is Death Stranding, and they decided to take ownership of the IP as part of the agreement, which is smart. And they let Sony, uh, they let Kojima go out there and make whatever he wants to make. Hey, man, we trust you. You're Kojima. You're the the one of the greatest of all time. Here's some money. Go make us a classic. And he comes walking back with a walking sim. A walking sim that did not sell as well as they anticipated certainly did not get the kind of critical reviews that they were hoping for, and generally left a weird taste in a lot of people's mouths. If you're Sony, you might want to snatch up Kojima Productions just to keep him away from from Microsoft, but you're certainly not going to be buying his studio because you're just infatuated with his work. He took your money and made Death Stranding. For crying out loud, not a Metal Gear, not a Silent Hills type of thing, not a PT type of experience. Death, whole entire stranding. Ropes and ladders, guys. That's the new thing. He had the nerve to call that a new genre. <laughs> I know Pablo is screaming at his phone right now. But the thing. I know, I know, people like that game. But my God, is that a Kojima level experience? Or is it another weird, wacky, what's going on with this dude type of experience? So if you ask me, I think Sony's in the right for saying, ah, we're cool. We'll go find somebody else. I'd ra- I'll put it to you this way. I'd rather Sony spend their money on a From Software than a Kojima Productions. And I'll leave it at that. News item number three. Longtime Halo series collaborator Certain Affinity has announced they will have a deepening role in the future development of Halo Infinite and will be, quote, evolving Halo Infinite in some new and exciting ways, end quote. Certain Affinity's hiring appears to corroborate 343's comments about needing to expand in order to meet the demand for more faster updates and more new content. There's also been rumors that their first undertaking for Halo Infinite will be a battle royale mode. Now, considering that it's gotten so bad for the, for the game that the Master Chief Collection has actually <laughs> taken over in rankings of, from, from Halo Infinite on Steam, can this move truly help revive Halo Infinite or will 343's window close before they right the ship? It's an interesting question. Now, most people are going to say, hey, look, man. It's Halo Infinite's first year. Let's not get too gloomy and doomy just yet. Let's give them time. Let's wait and see what certain affinity does. Let's not throw out the red flag just yet. I agree in theory But I think the situation is a little different because this is Halo we're talking about. If you're asking me whether I think that Halo Infinite can rebound from what's been a very turbulent time on the multiplayer side. I think it is possible. I think they can usher back in a decent audience. That will stick around and play Halo Infinite multiplayer semi-routinely. But that is going to be very hard to do. We're in a new landscape, guys. Where the Fortnites of the world, the War Zones of the world, the Apex Legends of the world, the Destinies of the world, have proven and in some ways learned the hard way themselves, that your first impression is the most important impression. You've got to get it right. And you've got to get it right soon. You can't afford to just kind of dangle in the wind five months after your game comes out, with nothing more than a bunch of apologies and we hear yous and we're listening to feedback and all these these trite, cliche comments and think that you're going to keep an audience around. And the other thing about it is that the industry moves fast. Guys, a lot of gamers are not going to stick around and wait for you to figure it out when they can go reinstall another game like Fortnite or Warzone and go play that instead no one is 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 forced to wait on halo infinite to figure themselves out so is it possible this can help re, you know revitalize halo infinite's multiplayer sure it is but it's going to be very hard to do there's a lot of great games out there guys and that's the thing that microsoft has to start understanding and 343 especially it's baffling to me that that 343 and Microsoft willingly let this multiplayer come out this half-baked and to have the audacity to release it early last year as if they had all their ducks in a row. In hindsight now, that they look crazy for doing that to me. They look nuts for doing that last year. No plan, no strategy, no progression system, no meaningful battle pass type of progression. It was a pain to work through that game. And a lot of people were left with a negative stigma of Halo Infinite. And some people are like, you know what, I'm cool. (laughs) Oh, glad to know that they're, you know, they're they're working on riding the ship. That's great. But I'm cool. I'm over here now. I'm playing this thing now. (laughs) Because the industry isn't going to wait for you to get it together. It's become all the more important to to start off strong. Especially when you're taking a series that's never been a, a live service before and transitioning it into one. And you have a terrible plan to do so. It's getting embarrassing now. This game is on Game Pass, guys. And barely anybody's playing this thing. But it's on Game Pass. It's un- it's it's unbelievable. I'm glad that certain affinity is going to have a deeper role, but even then, man, they're they're looking for they they're hiring. <laughs> they have a deepening role, but they don't have the manpower to even do anything right now. They're still recruiting. So if you happen to be a hardcore fan of Halo, you're waiting a while before any of this leads to fruitful results for the actual game. Rumor is this Royale's been in development for one or two years, which is that's, that's like, okay, <laughs> fine. Glad to hear that. I mean, that's I mean, okay. It must be, you know, an interesting twist on Royale, I guess, if it's taken that long to figure it out, but... Even now, it feels that move, even though it's been in the cards for years, it feels like a move of desperation on the surface, optics-wise, for the casual fan that doesn't know that's been in development for so long. Casual fans are going to say, oh, look at Halo out here trying to, trying to get the fans back with a Royale mode, trying to cash in. It's going to look bad, even though it was always part of the roadmap, kind of like co-op was. <laughs> kind of like Forge. It's a bad time to be a Halo fan, man. I, I, I think this has to be 343's last Halo, either as far as their current management and leadership is concerned or just all together. I think it's really time to reevaluate this situation because every time they put out a Halo, they put out a problem. Halo 4 was... was A multiplayer mess with a good story, but a a drab single player. It's a lot like Halo Infinite's campaign. Just mundane. But it had the story that pulled you through. But the multiplayer was terrible. Halo 5, unmitigated disaster on almost every level. Multiplayer was okay, but just... The Master Chief Collection, broken for years. Still broken. still has problems to this day. It's unacceptable. And for some reason, Microsoft has been totally fine with letting Halo jump the shark like this. Something's got to give, and hopefully it will soon. Moving on to the last two hit points items, some quicker hits. The release date for Xenoblade Chronicles 3 has been bumped up to July 29th. The Switch-exclusive JRPG was formally set for a September launch, but appears to be ready earlier than expected. Could this be one of the better games of 2022? And does Xenoblade Chronicles deserve more love? Um, I'd say yes on both fronts, actually. Um, <clears throat> Xenoblade, to me, I think just never really... It never really got enough... Clout for being as good as it is because it's on Switch. Um, it doesn't have that hardcore gaming audience really looking at it because people play Switch games for like the Mario Karts and the Zeldas and the stuff like that. It, it's, but it is, an, it, it is one of the best franchises you can find on a Nintendo platform for sure. It just doesn't, it gets overshadowed so much by other things. Um, I'm really excited about this one. I, I've I've played the first two games. Um I think they're fantastic experiences. Um actually I played all three. Um Chronicles Cross and then uh you know, the other two. And I think this is if you're if you're a, a traditional JRPG fan, I think this one is a must-play. It looks great. Um I've always loved the scale and the scope of the of the game, the battle systems are usually fun, if not a little bit too clunky at times. But hopefully, they've refined some things. I'm really excited about this, and I think it's a nice move to bump it up. I think it's a good spot. Um, I'll definitely be picking it up uh, unless something goes sideways or you know I decide to hold off for whatever reason. But I'm I'm here for it. I'm also here for the next game that got announced. The Shadowrun Trilogy has been announced and will be arriving on PlayStation, Xbox Game Pass, and Nintendo Switch on June 21st. The Shadowrun Trilogy comprises three cult tactical RPG games taking place in a dystopian cyberpunk future in which magic has been reawakened, bringing back to life creatures of high fantasy. I'm excited. When I saw this, I actually thought about the uh, the reboot that came out on the uh, I think it was 360, uh, the Shadowrun multiplayer game, um, terribly underrated game actually. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, but it was in no way, shape, or form the uh, you know the uh, <laughs> tactical RPG that the series used to be. So a lot of fans were kind of like dumbfounded about that. <clears throat> Um, I've always wanted to get around to this one. I, am not a big tactical RPG fan, but I am a cyberpunk, just aesthetic fiend. And especially after seeing how this game looks, um, with this trilogy, I'm, I'm all in, um, I'm really excited about it. I know, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is cracked. I told you it's going to happen. I told you I'm gonna get raspy out here. Um, I know it's a tabletop RPG, uh, as far as its origins go, if I'm not mistaken, um, so that's kind of cool too. Uh, I was never big in tabletop RPGs, but I think I'm definitely going to be taking a look at this one, especially since it's on game pass. It's not going to cost me a thing. Um, but I've heard that if, you know, if, if you've never played it before, you're in for a hell of a time and that's got me pretty excited too. So between hearing about Xenoblade Chronicles three, uh, news and, and then the shadow run trilogy coming out in June, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting, uh, middle of the year where I'm going to get to actually play some games I'm, I'm low key excited about. So, um, you know, it might not be as drab of a dull, like, or a lull period, rather, as, uh, as I was hoping it would be. But um, nevertheless, that is going to do it for uh, the Hit Points segment of the show. So um, from here, we're going to go ahead and move on to the Checkpoint Chat. Pablo's going to tag back in in just a moment. So uh, without further ado, let's get started. It's time for the Checkpoint Chat. All right, so for our checkpoint chat, uh, we decided to uh, tap into one of the segments that we did kind of towards the beginning of our uh, Run as the Cooldown Time podcast that was pretty fun uh, and decided to bring it back uh, for the sequel uh, that you never asked for. And that is going to be uh, five more games that define us. Uh, and, and by us, I mean, not just me, so um, tagging back in Pablo for this one. Pablo, welcome to the show. Uh, glad to have you back. Glad to be uh, back. Let's talk about games that matter to us. How about that?
0: Yeah, let's do that. Just so everybody knows, I don't know if we're being cute or not, but episode five is the original five games that define us, and we were probably being cute because we just Look cute. Look at the numbers, man.
1: We just cute. The numbers, Mason. Um, yeah, so what we're going to do is uh, basically just go round robin, and uh, we picked five games uh, from our history Uh, As gamers that we feel have kind of helped shape and define who we are as gamers or maybe even beyond that in some respects as well. Um, Key thing, uh, much like what we said the first time we did this in episode five, as Pablo said, um, these games are not always necessarily the best games of the best. Sometimes these games are just kind of mediocre or just, you know, little milestones or, or important marks in our history that, that might not be the greatest games ever. So if you hear us say some games that make you go, what? Uh, it's not <laughs> that we think these games are like the greatest of all time. It's just that they have a special uh, place uh, in our hearts as, uh, as, as gamers. So uh, just, just, just important to keep that in mind because uh, I got one or two that will make you all go like, why? Why, though? Yeah, I probably um, got like one or two as so. well. Yeah, yeah. So, without uh, any uh, further ado, uh, why don't we go ahead and kick things off with you, Pablo? Why don't you walk us through uh, your uh, one of your games that define you and why?
0: Yeah, one of those games. I'm going to start it off with kind of a head scratcher. Uh, not necessarily this is a bad game or anything. It's just a game that you know people don't really talk about. Uh, and that game is SWAT 4. Are you familiar with SWAT 4, Marco?
1: I think I've heard you talk about it, but I have not played it.
0: Yeah, I mean, SWAT 4 is basically like the basis of what uh, Rainbow Six games turned out to be. Where, like, they're single-player games, but you do have a crew of people that you kind of, uh, you know, move around in certain areas of the map to try and kind of get the best possible outcome uh, situation, right? So in this one, you're obviously playing SWAT member. Uh, You're playing a, a commander of a SWAT team. And look, this game is important to me because this game kind of changed the way I saw what first-person shooters could be outside of the Halos and the Dooms, because this comes out like right after uh, the Halo. As a matter of fact, this came out like a year after Halo 2 or maybe a little later.
1: Is this uh, the PC-only game yeah. from Ken
0: Levine? It's not Ken Levine. It is Irrational Games, but it's not... Ken Levine, Irrational, yeah, okay. It is Irrational Games. Uh, and honestly, dude, I, I, this game really kind of, even now I, I tend to go back. I, 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 I bought it in games, uh, GOG. Um, I bought it a couple of years ago, and every once in a while, on my PC, I go back, and I play it. It's just, it, it, it's actually really, it holds up still, I believe it, it still holds up, because it's not fast-paced, fast-paced Twitch shooting, it's basically just you kind of, you know, really uh, strategizing as to how you're going to do it, and it's like an ambiance to it, and it's funny, because this is the developers that do Bioshock, and they do ambiance really well. Like, there's a tension in the air throughout the entire kind of uh, level, where you're, you're trying to uh, Free some hostages. They do a really good job, and really, what what this game did for me, it kind of just recontextualized a genre in a way that I thought was basically just shoot them up and 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 and, and move on. Right. This is this is yeah. not that you can go out an entire game without shooting anybody. Really, if you wanted to, without you personally shooting your weapon, you can have your your um, you know your other people shoot. It, it, it just it really does a really good job with with ambiance and then just gameplay and really just making this genre of first person shooter uh, and, and making it something else. Like it's really cool that they even in the smack dab in the middle of the rena- uh, the renaissance of of first person shooters because now they're on consoles. They stuck to their guns, haha. Uh, but they really ah. did it in a way that isn't just it isn't just kind of like more SWAT 1 or 2 or 3. They really made this the best possible version of this game. Uh, and it really is just one hell of a game. I, I love this game to death. And every time I play a Rainbow Six game, like Rainbow Six Vegas, which I love, it, I always just want to go play SWAT 4 because even then with Rainbow Six 2, Vegas 2 and all those other games, I feel SWAT yeah. 4 did it better.
1: I was going to bring up Rainbow Six and even Ghost Recon. Yeah. Two, I guess those would be comparable. But yeah. what, do you think, what do you think sets... SWAT cuz I forgot to mention at the top of this like we don't know what we both picked right, for yeah. this so I'm, that's why I'm kind of asking questions here but like what what do you think SWAT 4 does or maybe even you know for its time that either inspired some of Ubisoft's games or maybe kind of evolved some things past yeah. where those games were at the time
0: just the core uh I think the core of the game itself just kind of how you play the game but what sets SWAT, or, uh, SWAT 4 apart from the other games is there's actually a really interesting story being told, uh, with your, mm. your guy. There's not, it's not like meta or anything crazy, but you know, there is this kind of police kind of thing happening with, with your protagonists and, and, and your other people that you really get to know, even though they're through dockets, some voiced, but if you lose them, they can die in, in the game and you lose that person in the game. And so it feels, uh, there's an attachment to your, to your crew members that are, that is unlike, the other Rainbow Six games, which yes, there's mm. like Rainbow Six Vegas. There's a, a more specific kind of story being told. And these characters are known well, uh, are known throughout. But the problem there is just, uh, it, it, it just, there's, there's, there's something to be said about being first and doing it the best. And the core concept of Ubisoft games, specifically with Rainbow Six three, and then uh, Rainbow Six new Vegas, those are really the, the, the concept of those games are really from what SWAT has done before. So, yeah.
1: Gotcha. One more question before we move on. This is a yes, no, or maybe. If someone were to go on and see that game on on uh, on the, on the on GOG or wherever, would you recommend they play it in 2022?
0: Yeah, I do, because it's... It graphically, it okay. doesn't look great, sure. But I think that of it course. definitely is a game that still holds up mechanically. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Nice. Alright. Cool, man. So I'll go ahead and tag in next with my pick. Um, so interestingly enough um i think we both went back and listened to um the episode that we did uh, the first time around for this segment uh just to kind of you know jog your memories a little bit and uh i remember you know you're you talked a lot about mario being kind of your your first exposure mm-hmm. to video games and i for a while i was trying to remember like do i even remember what the first game i ever saw was and for a while i i, I I kind of saw the game in my head, but I couldn't remember what it was called, and I finally remembered it. Um, so I'm gonna actually use that as my pick here. Um, so th- my pick for games that define me is the first game I've ever laid eyes on, and that is Final Fight. Huh. Um, Final Fight is the uh, it is a beat 'em up. Uh, brawler. I just kind of knocked my microphone a little bit. Uh, it's a, it's like a beat 'em up brawler, uh, side scroller. It, it's a lot like Streets of Rage and and kind of like that River City Rampage kind of you know vibe or whatever. Um, but it was Capcom's sort of uh, you know thing back in the late '80s, early '90s. And I um, I remember seeing it for the first time. I think that was the game that I that I remember seeing my dad play. Um, and I you know my my you know four or five year old brain was you know trying to calculate like what i was looking at because it looked like you know a cartoony game with like you know pixels and stuff but i didn't know what any of that meant at the time it just looked like a thing that he can control that looked like a cartoon show um so i was um i was just sort of like in that like marvelling at the game kind of thing and, and and like oh wow my dad is doing things on this on this thing he's like you know this controller thing that is like moving the character. So it was kind of like that revelation of, oh, this is a video game. Um, And it was a really interesting one. I think, you know, looking at it now, all these years later, and, you know, thinking about that game's impact. I mean, it's, it's one of those games that is brought up in the history of gaming but it's not one of like the most decorated you know franchises of all time I just thought it was a cool looking game Um, you know just kind of picking some muscular dude and going out and just beating up on these like you know 80s looking street thugs and and saving the girl Um, you know so it kind of harkens back to simpler times uh, and definitely simpler storytelling I mean it was literally like the mayor of a city who happens to be like ripped Uh, his daughter was like his daughter's kidnapped by this like you know weird group of thugs that look like the nasty boys from uh, wcw and um you know and of course she's hot she's got like a red dress and, and huge boobs and all that And red he's like, dress. oh no my daughter and uh so he decides to take his shirt off <laughs> and go fight um and that is the premise of the game and some other like you know white dude is like your daughter's taken oh i gotta go help you out because he was obviously trying to smash but like it, that was kind of it, it uh, you know. And obviously, my five year old brain didn't know any of that, but it was just like a really, really uh, interesting. It's one of those like your interesting time capsule games needs, of of its era.
0: Something about that, just subconsciously.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it 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 defined me. It it, it shaped and molded me. Um, you know, taught me what to look for in women. If you uh, ain't got a
0: red dress, Marco ain't want
1: none to do with your ass. I don't want none to do with you. I'm going to take my shirt off for you. (laughs) Um, But no, um, you know, I don't have much to say about the game itself or any of the nuances of it. It's not one of those games uh, for me. It was just one of those like, you know, this is video games uh, kind of moments. uh, You know, the first time I ever had one. So it it has a a special place in in my personal history as a result. So, yeah, Final Fight. First time I ever saw a video game.
0: Yeah. When we do these lists, I Kind of get caught up in the trying, not trying to be different, but trying to find games that in my kind of like Rolodex of my mind. To find games that I I, I, I still kind of uh, harken back to whether emotionally or when I'm playing other games. But then there's something as simple as just saying Halo 2. And that's my next game. Hey, Halo 2... Mm. You know, really, uh, if SWAT 4 kind of changed the way I thought about shooters, Halo 2 definitely changed the way I played them. Because it was... Th- when you play Halo 1, Halo 1 was definitely one of the first games that were on console, if not the first game... The first the first first-person shooter on consoles that played well. Uh, and Halo 2, taking that to that next level, it was kind of like an incredible, mo- an incredible time playing the campaign. I loved it. But that's not really why... The game defined me. It it, it defines me because of the multiplayer. Like I remember very vividly. And obviously this wasn't that long ago. But I remember very vividly going into a friend's barbershop at 2am. He had just gotten married. And his father-in-law literally gave him a barbershop. In order to kind of maintain his daughter. Whatever. He was a barber. And we would, so responsibly, newlywed, we would go around 2 a.m. in the morning to his barbershop and bring our TVs, our Xboxes, and just play till like 8 in the morning till when he had opened the barbershop and just play Halo, uh, like local uh, co-op. And then obviously playing online. You know, the first Halo game, you couldn't play online through the Xbox. That wasn't a possibility till later on. Well, not really, till Master Chief Collection came on. You could play it on PC later. But uh, mm-hmm. but anyway, Halo 2 was that first time where you playing online you're like, holy shit like i'm playing with uh, like you know the whole dream of i'm playing with people mom i'm playing with people from <laughs> asia like that kind of stuff that's kind of where i remember that being the most prevalent for me and it really kind of changed the way I, I mean every time i play a shooter and it has a multiplayer aspect i'm constantly consistently comparing it to halo experience and whether or not that's totally fair or whether or not you know i can love other games that are not halo online which you know Of course I can. But when a game is very much trying to do what Halo does, it is very evident, very obvious, and they never do a good job. You know, Halo is very onto its own. It's very specific. Uh, And, yeah, Halo Online multiplayer really kind of changed just everything for me going forward. Like, you know, if a game had a multiplayer aspect, like, is this the next Halo? Everything was, is this the next Halo 2? Is this the next Halo 2? That moment in time trying to recreate. Uh, and, you know, it's 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 one hell of a time. And, and, you know, with Master Chief Collection, you can always go back and play it, and it still hits fucking hard. It's it's amazing. So, yeah, Halo 2 is, is that next on my list.
1: And just the coolness of Master Chief. Just con- the continued coolness oh, yeah, of, yeah, of, yeah.
0: Of, of, of the Chief. Just that protagonist stuff. And, and kind of him being the... Him becoming and evolving the, the 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 head or the mascot of of, of Halo of, yeah. of Xbox really started with Halo, yeah, but Xbox. evolved definitely at mm-hmm. Halo Two, where that was like the game, man. I remember, I remember people lining up for that game. I remember that being <laughs> that that game being like it. That game kind of leaked into like every other uh, every other aspect of your life in terms of like you watching TV, watching the news, you saw shit everywhere. It's, it's yeah, Halo Two was 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 definitely unique in its way
1: there's one thing that took the world by storm more than halo did back in the day it is the next game on my well it wasn't the game but it was the it was the the person uh the game was about yeah uh which is the next game on my list i'm gonna stick my neck out at the risk of severe embarrassment (laughs) severe embarrassment but i'm gonna own my past i'm gonna keep it real and if you guys, if this changes how y'all feel about me, it is what it is. But the second game uh, that defines me is Michael Jackson's moonwalk.
0: <laughs> oh man!
1: <laughs> I have to be honest, Pablo. You know, from our yep. childhood days, my, me, and my family, and really, you know, my grow, my upbringing uh, in New York, Buffalo, to be exact. We uh, were all big Michael Jackson fans. Yeah. Like we loved Michael. Like when Thriller came out, like we would all we, we all gathered around and watched it. When um, his the the Moonwalker movie came out, where the Smooth Criminal song came out, like that was everything to us back in the day. They were like mini movies.
0: Yeah, they all were. So even though I Chris was Chris Tucker, Michael. <laughs> Chris, Chris, no, Chris, calm down, Chris.
1: Um, <laughs> I was a Michael Jackson fan when I was younger. There's a lot of people that were. Yeah, so, hey, we're the- all in therapy. We're all in therapy together over that, right? Like, you know, we know what <laughs> we know what became of the man. What we learned about him. But when we were kids, we all loved Michael. We just didn't know that he kind of loved us too. <laughs> um, oh no. So, game comes out based on the movie Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, and it's an arcade game. And I see it for the first time in a in a, a department store called Hills and back in like, Buffalo. Jamal! And I said, "Mom, mama, can i going to get a quarter." <laughs> 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 I kicked that machine and I flicked the coin in from all the way across oh, like the yeah. like the, you know, like I didn't do criminal, any of that. Like <laughs> but um I was amazed because I had never seen, and I—I I might be wrong, but I don't think there had ever been at that era a video game based on a musician like that. Yeah. I had never heard of that before. So the fact that I'm not only controlling Michael Jackson, but I'm out here saving—you know—making sure Annie's okay, you know, and um, and you could turn into the robot that you, that he turns into in the movie. That was fire to me. Yeah. You know, and it had, like, four-player co-op, and each of the Michaels had, like, a different color, like, suit from Smooth Criminal. One had the default white. One had, like, black with red trim. It was looking clean. Yeah. The socks were all done up and everything. It was incredible stuff. So... I had to play it, but it was only in arcades. But they ended up making a version for uh, Sega Genesis that was a totally different game than the one that was in arcades. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it was the same kind of theme, I guess. But it was just two D side scroller, where the other one was like more of a top down thing. Um, but it was it was it was kind of dope, man. I, I I went on YouTube for some like you know like confirmation bias that it wasn't like a, a bad game and there were there's a lot of content creators that are like retro gamers that that actually give that game a lot of credit like it was pretty clever how they utilize michael's dance moves and you know doing all his signature stuff from music videos to like defeat enemies and and, and find annies and you know make sure she's okay like it was just dope he could turn into a car like michael's turning into vehicles guys how could you not if you're a, if you're like an eight nine year old kid that, that thought Michael was cool you get to play as Michael Jackson who 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 could say no to that but I will say um, anybody so,
0: who plays that game today and says it's good I want to fight them I would like to yeah, fight them yeah
1: I mean yeah you can you can't you can't run that game today yeah you know? <laughs> but like it had bubbles the monkey he used to have <laughs> Bubbles is running around too. How could you say no? I think the rest of the Jackson 5 was in the back. I, I, that's a lie, but, you know, whatever. Um, so I, I will bear the, the mark of shame uh, and and just spin off to the sunset. Um, it, but, you know, but, but I, I did have to be honest and say this one, embarrassingly enough, was a game that defined Hey, man, me.
0: That, that's so. part of it. Well, okay, so moving on here with mine, my next three games are more modern games because I, I – I, I felt that you know I covered a lot of the the stuff that kind of made me a gamer early on, and then um, for me ultimately what I find what I found kind of researching the list is that there were more experiences in my later life that kind of revitalized my love for video games in a way where maybe I was feeling a little burnt out on them or maybe I was feeling like maybe a, you know maybe I'm done with games, and one sure. of, and one of the games that kind of did that for me um, was. Was Grand Theft Auto 4, um, you know, and I, anybody who's heard me on this podcast know that I'm a big fan of Grand Theft Auto 4 and Vice City, but Grand Theft Auto 4 for me was kind of one of those, you know, another open world, more Grand Theft Auto, another open world game, kind of like, I don't know if I really want to do this anymore anymore. And then kind of seeing what they did with Grand Theft Auto Or Almost like if Rockstar was feeling the same way that I was feeling in that way. Where less bombast, You know, it's a minimalistic approach to what that what, what that game probably should have been with San Andreas. So those games get bigger and better and more to do. And, and while this was for me better than, than San Andreas, it wasn't necessarily bigger. It wasn't necessarily more to do. In fact, it was smaller and there was less to do. And it was more about... The story. It was more about the characters, and it was more about the city, and it was more about how you went about that. That uh, and and it just it just felt more grounded, though. Totally silly as shit. Still, you know, Brucey and and Roman, all those guys, ridiculous human beings through and through. But ultimately, the core uh, story of Nico Bellic and and him going through that war at home and coming home and, and trying to find a new life as an American, and then you know, still needing to put to rest what happened to him and kind of finding revenge all the way here in America and the fish out of water story. It it was really enthralling and really kind of made me love video games, not because of the uh, run over all these people on the sidewalk, and even though you can definitely do that, but the fact that the writing was there, the, 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 the storytelling was all there, and it really brought me to a place where I was like, you know what, games have matured and and I can definitely still vibe with them in a way where it's less more less about just shooting random people and and, and kind of getting to know the the NPCs in the game and going through that whole bank robbery scene that was super dope and, and kind of um you know, all, all that all that story just was really, really amazing to me. And I know that game got a lot of flack because it wasn't bigger, better, bolder. Uh, but I think ultimately, uh, I think when you look at kind of like revisionist history, I think time has been kindest to Grand Theft Auto 4 because of its personal story and, and less about pop culture of the moment that doesn't really make sense or kind of like Jive here today. Mm. So yeah, Grand Theft Auto definitely got me to a position where I was like, okay, I, games have matured. Even games like Grand Theft Auto, I felt could mature. I, I think I definitely could still play games. So Grand Theft Auto is that for me, for sure.
1: Plus um, the DLC, the Ballad Gates oh, and, and Lost in the Dam were really, really good stuff. And,
0: yeah, and, and that's in its own thing where like that really brought forth what what DLC can be because it was yep. mostly just a whole different game. Like Ballad of Gay Tony uh, was like a 20 hour experience and Lost in the Dam was about the same. And it was an entire different game with entire different characters. That Those games could have probably most likely been the next Grand Theft Auto and, and the fact that they did that. Yeah. And then that carries over to Red Dead Redemption with Red Dead Redemption and um, the, the, the the zombie one. I forgot what that's called. Uh, and, and it's weird because they haven't. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, it's, cool. it's weird because they haven't gone back to that um you know it, it worked so well but i grand theft auto 5 didn't have hasn't had that i know they've focused on online stuff uh and yeah and and grant the- and then red devil district 2 that doesn't have that either so it's weird that that was so amazing so kind of groundbreaking and they kind of went away from it completely but yeah
1: yeah i mean if uh, to me i think if gta 4 wasn't gta 4 i don't know how gta would would hang in the modern era because it had to evolve past where it was in the PS2 days. Yeah. So, and it did. Um, and it was definitely weird at the time to, to go from such a, like a over the top game to a more like slightly more grounded experience. But I think it benefited GTA's future in the long run because it gave more, um, it gave more room for realism that you know GTA Five and you know would be built on later and and, and have more of a you know a, a real open world infrastructure yeah. that they can eventually shift to an online format now.
0: And it um, it, so. it also works like a soft reset for them in that where Grand Out Auto Four can, is the is the start. Like that's the, the, those games kind of like um, like Saints Row run into an issue where they've gotten bigger mm-hmm. and bigger and crazier crazier when you get to a point where it's like where the hell can they legit go next like the Fast and the Furious movies like that movie was about racing in movie one and now they're talking about going to space like they Grand Theft Auto <laughs> 4 kind of worked as a soft reset for them where they, they, they took it down back to basics and now they can grow from there again if they wanted to do that
1: yep mm-hmm. indeed Dope, man. All right, so I'll go ahead and jump in next with my third game that defines me. I gotta, I gotta diesel up on this one after the Michael Jackson one. <laughs> so I'm gonna go uh, with a with a cooler game this time around. So uh, very few games uh, or franchises that, for that matter, are as cool to me as Resident Evil. So I have Resident Evil two as my uh, my next game that defines me. Um, Resident Evil one is a classic. We all know. The mansion, the dog's bursting through the window, zombie game, um, really, you know, trailblazing a whole new lane for video games uh, forever. Um, and and the series still exists and lasts and thrives to this day. Um, and it would be easy to pick the, the original that started it all. But for me, too, was where I felt like the the, the Resident Evil formula showed that it could it had staying power because there was more lore there was more uh, interconnected characters and story arcs uh, you have Claire Redfield looking for her brother Chris who was the main character from the first game so you have that tie-in you have a rookie cop that's kind of disoriented and and starting his first day on the job with a raccoon outbreak and now Leon is arguably the most popular protagonist in, in Resident Evil partly because of four and, and just you know how cool of a character he is, but you have um, you know really interesting uh, insight into the history of Umbrella as well, and kind of how the T virus came about, and the scientists, and the mysterious Ada Wong, and all this, all this cool conspiracy stuff that was kind of. Um, hinted at in the first Resident Evil, but they really kind of went in and went for it with Resident Evil 2. So the sequel became more than just about, here's a zombie game, but this isn't a police station. It was more of like, here's here is that, plus here's more of the background lore of Raccoon City in terms of politics, in terms of Umbrella Corporation and everything that led up to the creation of this virus and, and the impending destruction of the city. So I thought from that perspective, that was where I thought Resident Evil 2 really took the series and and, and brought it into its own yeah. um, and showed that it can be more than just a, a scary game in a, in a creepy environment, but have more underneath it from a storytelling standpoint. And I loved it. It was super fun. Uh, tank controls and all. And later on, a couple years ago, when the remake uh, came oh, out, fantastic. I believe that was in 2018 one of my favorite games of all time and both on both me, levels uh, with old and new game. Let
0: me ask you a question. Does the resident evil Two remake supplant the second one? Not in your, not in, in its nostalgia, but just like you feel like it is the better version of the two.
1: Oh, it's easily the better version yeah. of the two. I think it does just about everything that two, the original two did, but better. Um, and added even more storytelling to it. Um, to make it even more rounded out and and, and interesting um, for what the storytelling was at that point in the, the yeah. timeline, um, so I think it's it's better in every way. But um, the, the you know even the the original PS one version still holds up really well and is a is a good time. I actually. Uh, played a lot of it on N64 when it came out in there, which was a weird place to play it. Yeah. I, it's always been a PlayStation yeah, franchise yeah. in my brain, but it was even good there too. So I'm like, this it's just a classic no matter where you play it. Uh, however many years later, it still holds up. And obviously there was something good enough about that formula to make a great remake for it as well. So
0: You can't do this with every game. You can't just pick an old game and remake it into twenty. 20- to, to, to 2018 2019 and expect it to be good the fact that they yeah, were able yeah. to remake it and not only does this supplant the classic but it becomes a new classic is 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 amazing I mean that that's testament to what that game was at its core because two and also three which people complain a lot about but I, I love both those games I think those games are absolutely amazing and I am incredibly excited with what they're gonna do with four and hopefully code Veronica which I, I love code, I like Code Veronica quite a bit more than most I think but I, I hope that mm. all those games get remade because they really work, man. They find a formula that works, and that's and that's good times, man.
1: Yes, sir. All right. So passing it back to you. What do you got? Yeah. So
0: this is probably the newest one on my list compared to the other games, and that's Elden. Elden no, I'm Ring. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke. This Elden Ring. No, but it is. It is Dark Souls Three. Um, you know, when I look at what I've done or kind of my history with. Um, with Dark Souls games I, I I you know I can go back to Dark Souls 1 and really say that I enjoyed that but 3 really kind of put me into this kind of a mind space of like these games are different and I treat these games different you know when I play when I play other games I, I even though they could be the game of the year for me that year I always kind of am distracted by other games uh, and I kind of am juggling a whole bunch of games at all times except if it's a Souls-like game. If it's a Souls-like game, there's really no room for anything else. If I play something else, then I take a quick break, but I come back and I'm full on. And that's just a testament to what Dark Souls is as a series. I mean, it really just, uh, by comparison to other games, there's not a lot of content in those games, but other it makes other games feel, I guess, empty in a way where, when you're playing that game moment to moment, there's just just so much commitment that's needed to it. And even though it's a try again, die, try again, die, try again kind of thing, it just feels every approach, it's different. It feels new almost every time you do it because it's like, I'm doing something different. I'm doing a different combination. I'm doing a different magic spell. If you're doing magic, kind of different coding on my... So whatever it is, all these things come into play. And when I play other games, when I play other action adventure games, when I played like the the, the 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 demo recently of Strangers in Paradise, where they're so clearly trying to evoke and be a Dark Souls-like, it just, it, there's no comparison. Every, like, there's a whole bunch of Dark Souls-like games out there, even asymmetrical games like Death's Door that try, that try to bring that forward. There's nothing that compares to Dark Souls games. And for me, when I played Dark Souls 3 after that, It was. I can remember the time I was where I really remember Dark Souls Three clicking for me, and it's like not wanting to play any other games ever again because of the fact that how much I was enjoying my time, how how committed I felt to it, and maybe I have a touch of ADHD, uh, if that. And this game said a touch, (laughs) and this game almost cures that for me because I I can spend like I'm one of those guys that can play an hour or two and have to take a break. I don't need to take breaks when I'm playing. Souls games, and it really kind of just changed the way I, I play games, period, specifically these games. But there's when anytime a From Software game is going to come out, I am first in line, they're ready to go because I know that this game is going to challenge me, but also. Be very rewarding into that, and I kind of always looking forward to the next uh, iteration uh, of this series. So obviously, Elden Ring spoke to, to me, and even Marco to, in a point where I wasn't even expecting. So, but yeah, Dark Souls three is the newest game on here, and it kind of uh, propelled me into another genre late in the game, right? Late in my in my thirties, in my late twenties, into another genre of video games that I think are comparable to those of my childhood. Like, you know, I think that when I think about a, a Mario game, a Zelda game, I think the pillars for me is, like, the Mario likes, the Zelda likes, the Dark Souls likes. Those are, like, the three pillars for me now in terms of playing those kind of games and, and really enjoying those those games. Yeah. So, that's that's my gotcha. number four.
1: Not bad. And it's, uh, hopefully it's still in your top ten. uh by the time you're uh, finished with Elden Ring. But, yeah, we'll um, see.
0: I mean I don't know, man. I will see. I mean I, I there's I don't it wouldn't be too crazy to have two Dark Souls-like games on on my top 10 list, but again, these are these are games more that define you, less games about being the best games of all time. But if Dark Souls 3 was what got oh, yeah. me into yeah. Elden Ring ultimately, I'm okay with Elden Ring surplanting it as like the quintessential Dark Souls experience, but yeah, we'll see.
1: Got you. Cool. All right, so my fourth uh game that defined me, Going to the wrestling world, going back to the squared circle again. Um, in our first, uh, you know, segment for this um, last year, I, I kind of made no mercy an honorable mention. I did too. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. You know, retread that one again. I'm gonna keep it original here. But I am gonna pick WCW NWO uh, Revenge for yeah. N64. Um, interestingly enough, I <laughs> well, maybe it's not interesting. But it's probably not. <laughs> I, I <it> wasn't. Much, <laughs> I wasn't a big, you know, Nintendo guy at that at that time. So I would have never have mentally associated having a Nintendo platform would be the best avenue to play great wrestling games um, at at that stage of, of my life. So I was kind of stuck with, um, and you were there around that time, like the the WWF War Zones of the world yeah. for the PlayStation One, even the WWF Attitude uh, from Acclaim, and. Um, they were fine. fine. It was okay, but it wasn't.
0: Actually, they were good because they weren't. We, we still haven't seen. We still haven't seen a great, uh, wrestling game yet.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it, you know, it was all you knew. So it was like, oh, this is dope. But there was obviously better out there. And um, I remember, you know, we would go to a grocery store out here, Winn Dixie. Um, you know, and and there'd be a magazine section and. Every month, these magazines would talk about this WCW versus NWO revenge uh, game, and I—I I really never watched a lot of WCW. I was always interested in it from afar, but I never really got into it because I was more of a WWF guy at the time. But it was so dope seeing like these screenshots in the magazine of like. Booker T and and like that looked like the NWO there. It Looks like Hogan. Oh, uh, there, there's there's that Sting guy. I don't know too much about. So it was kind of an eye opener, uh, not only about the game but about WCW as a brand as well. Um, and I finally got around to it um, when I when I did eventually get a, a an N64 for wrestling games pr- predominantly. Um, I played it unfortunately kind of after I played um, no, mercy, no Mercy, but. I um but in a lot of ways I think revenge was in 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 some respects a more fun experience for its time even though it wasn't a it didn't end up being the better of the two in terms of like wrestling um but the roster was insane insanity at the time like it was just it was everybody um and uh, I I thought that was so cool because like I said the games that we were playing for WWF only had like eight or ten people tops mm-hmm. and like you know one or two hidden characters and that was it and this this one had every single person you know everybody looked super blocky and ugly but you know again it was like it was more of like being impressed with just the sheer scope of that game for its time um and so i was always there was always like um this this like mystique to that game that i you know from from not being able to play it myself um from afar that i was always you know captivated about and then when i finally got a chance to play it you know uh, sometime later i'm like, yeah. Yeah, this was pretty awesome. I also, so
0: I also don't think that WCW NWO Revenge is like leaps and bounds better than No Mercy. I think that when you not look, really no, when you look at kind of like the best wrestling games of all time, I think that the the three that always get thrown around are no are obviously No Mercy, WCW NWO Revenge, and maybe Here Comes the Pain or even w uh, 2k 14 like is like like lauded or fire Pro wrestling maybe people like that mm-hmm. one a lot but um yeah I, I think when you look at one and two it's always those two games I, I, at least I think so because I, I remember that game being very good as well
1: yeah yeah all-time classic um, in, in in my old wrestling fandom days. That game was uh, was was pretty spectacular. So yeah, gotta give a shout out to Revenge uh, for this one. So, uh, what is your uh, what is your what is your final uh, pick for your games that define you?
0: Yeah, you know, looking kind of through again, kind of just kind of going through my top games of all time and reminiscing to some of the titles. One game that stood out to me that I actually bumped up in my all time list. Uh, uh, because I, I I, it was just an oversight I think it, it was Deus Ex Human Revolution Um,
1: hey, yeah Deus right. Ex
0: Human Revolution to me like one of the things that I like genre wise obviously we talked about Dark Souls but one of the things that's very near and dear to me is immersive uh, sims Uh, and those you know for those of you who have heard the pod or know me personally you know when it comes to the this one, the sequel, Dishonored, Dishonored 2, Prey. I absolutely love those games. But this is the game that really got me into it. I mean, I, I wasn't... I played System Shock 2 and even uh, Invisible War, Deus Ex, Invisible War. And it, but those games just never really spoke to me in a way that really was like, oh, I'm an Immersive Sim fan, you know? And and even then, I, I don't think I knew what that was when I played those games originally. So... Deus Ex Human Revolution coming out and me being absolutely lukewarm on it because I just didn't really, you know, I wasn't really like too much into the know about what the legacy of Deus Ex and that shit coming out and then just pretty much immediately blowing me the fuck away. I mean, and and, and kind of setting up my future in terms of what I'm looking for in Immersive Sim, the golden kind of like comparison is always Human Revolution. I mean, look, it's a futuristic victorian gold plated uh, setting that is that is absolutely like it, it's what I, what i love about the game is that it doesn't ha- it doesn't have to be this massive open world game to feel lived in or feel particularly interesting this game was had an engaging story but really this game let you play it the way you wanted to and that was far beyond killing or not killing that was your conversations you had with people, the way you treated people, the way you kind of, uh, th- the way you kind of connected to people. The only, the only wrong way of playing this game was if you made a choice that you felt betrayed who your Adam Jensen was, you know. And and mm-hmm. there were moments where I I didn't play it one way or the other. I didn't play no kill or stealth, a strain of stealth. I played a combination of both. There were certain things that happened that I deserved, thought that guy deserved to die, or whatever <laughs> the case may be. But really, it was just like this this game where Small sections, never like this sprawling open world, but these small sections where you really thought about your choices and what you were doing, and it really just kind of... um Cemented the entire uh, immersive sim legacy for me because it was just one of those things where even when you look at part two, like the the end boss, you don't have to do anything. Just can you can find the the thing where it literally shut him down. Like this game is littered with moments like that. We the the direct the direct path isn't always the right path or even the most interesting path. You know, you can do all do all things that you that within the within the constructs of the world, and it really just stands out to be just an incredible experience. It's a game that I, I think still still is could be played today, though it's not as beautiful as as as, as it was once when it came out. But I, I really do uh, think this game is amazing, and the director's cut that came out fixed my. Only issue with it was like the boss fights, which were not great. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the boss, the last one, completely redid that one. Uh, yes, Deus Ex completely changed. I mean, when when I look if, when a game comes out and it says it's an immersive sim, I'm already I'm already like fifty percent there. Like weird, um, weird West. Is it weird West? Mm. I the oh, West is coming. Uh, yeah. it, it, well, it's already out by the time of this, this is out, but I, whether or not I liked it or not, I can tell you right now I'm 50% into it just because it's an immersive sim. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, and that's all because of Deus ex Human Revolution.
1: Yeah, uh, I'll be honest. This was actually one of the games I was considering putting on here um, for this list too because it, it is in my top 25 uh, games of all time. It, it was special because, uh, you know, for all the reasons that you said, but also because, uh, you know, as a Metal Gear Solid fan, oh, yeah. that series was starting to jump the shark, as I've talked about, at least in my opinion. And finding that, like, that real stealth espionage type of game with conspiracies and all this, you know, uh, you know governmental stuff and whatnot uh, in an immersive world was was something I was really missing. And so for me... At the time, this game was kind of out Metal Gearing Metal Gear yeah. for me, uh, and I think that says a lot to how how incredible of a game this was. Um, oozing with atmosphere. To your point, you know you can play it how you want to play it. The, the The areas were small. Well, we got like a. Sorry, one second. <laughs> I got this like thunderstorm alert on my phone right now.
0: Um, that's weird. It's Florida. We. Yesterday, yeah, we're, last we're, night we had a, a like, right now. two tornado warnings.
1: Yeah, I just got. I think that's what this was, or something. Anyways, Go um, for the
0: pot, man. I, even if you got a tornado swirling outside, you got to finish this
1: episode. <laughs> hey, man! Not, not until I'm done talking about Deus Ex. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not hiding in my bunker or in my closet. Um, no, but um, you know it, it, what I was going to say was. Yeah, the levels and areas were small, but they were so packed with different routes you could take and things you could do. That it was um, in- incredible to see. Like when you get to your destination, then you then you see a vent that was open. And you're like, oh, I could have, oh, yeah. I could have went in there to get here without all all that fighting I did. So it was one of those games that encouraged you to go back and replay the game again to, to try a different path to get to the destination you were going to. And for its time, that was just so much fun. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. That's a that's a hell of a game, and it's definitely one of the best I've ever played too. Mm-hmm. So. All right, my uh, my fifth and final uh, game that defined me from uh, at least this uh, this iteration of, uh, of of the segment is uh, gonna go out to Devil May Cry. So Devil May Cry to me um, was kind of a revelation because of the because of two things really um, from an from a gameplay standpoint, Devil May Cry was the most stylish game I had ever seen in my life. Slashing an enemy up in the air with a sword, and while they're up in the air, shooting them with your guns, and they're just kind of hanging in, hanging in the air, doing that, like just so much style um, for a genre, especially at the time that was kind of losing its way yeah. and becoming a, a little, a little lost in the shuffle in the 3D, you know, gaming space. You know, it, it was kind of uh, an excellent you know, return to form for the action, slash him up beat him up kind of experience. Because uh, it was doing really, really genuinely new things that had never been done before. Um, but to me, the real reason why the game defined me was because of Dante as a character. Um, he, to me, was really, if and I might be forgetting another character out there perhaps, but to me, he was almost the first anti-hero uh, in, in video games. Um he was not the quintessential I'll save you. You know, he wasn't that dude. He was he was <laughs> he was witty, he was sarcastic, he had jokes for everybody, he had quips for days, dare I say weeks. Um he was How about month? He he oh al- he oh I, I might I might even throw a month in there. But he was um he was that guy, man. He was just the epitome of cool. Uh, the cool poses, the cutscenes were all super stylish as well. Uh, he's just kind of kicking his feet up in his little dingy, you know, Devil May Cry uh, agency thing, and, and somebody pulls up asking about you know, blah blah blah, his father and whatever. Um, and and he's just like this most nonchalant douchebag that you would ever see. And but at the same time, he has this this interesting family lore of being kind of a half demon because his father, Sparta. Was smashing these humans and, and him and his <laughs> brother were <laughs> I don't know how they worked out the logistics of that, but they smashed and you know they Dante and his brother Virgil were born. Uh, but his brother Virgil got caught up in some stuff, and you know, he was for all intents and purposes dead. But then you got this Nello Angelo uh, guy that's like kind of, you know watching you uh, as you're playing the game and then eventually jumps in to interject and fight you, but then, like doesn't kill you and kind of like escapes and you're like what the hell is this dude Launched about up, and then you yeah. find out later on that it's actually virgil and that set the tone for a lot of the story arcs that you'd see in like uh devil may cry, 3- 3- 3- yeah. devil may cry One, and then obviously uh dmc uh four and five you know just the continuation of dante's story i always felt like um, those games
0: always wanted to kind of go back to that those twists and turns. And I don't feel Mm -hmm. like any of them ever really do a great job of them as well.
1: No, not really.
0: I I think five twist was kind of cool, but you saw it coming from like 900 miles away. But I thought it was, I thought if you were like, like me who wasn't really, didn't know too much of it, knew a little bit of it. When I saw that happen, I was like, Oh shit. And I'm sure you probably saw Mm -hmm. that from like, this is yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But you know, again, for its time, Especially as you know, you're getting used to the PS2 era. It's it's the, like the first year or so of, of that of that console's life, and you're getting games like that. You're like, oh my god, gaming is about to really really evolve and it did and dante is one of the most influential characters now in all of gaming he has inspired a lot of new character you know archetypes that we've seen since then um, so it's a little hard to go back to the original devil may cry and go wow you know this is I've never seen anything like this because you have since then um, but but so much has been inspired by his character and that game um, that it has made gaming better and it it definitely re uh, made me reevaluate my standards of excellence for action games and and, and storytelling um, because of all the novel things that game in in the series did uh, despite the rocky moments that franchise has had over the years so yeah that's my, uh, my, my my fifth one
0: do you think that that game the first one specifically would benefit from a resident evil 2 kind of remake or are there too many games that like Platinum Games, Bayonetta, whatever, that might make it seem a little redundant or a little too similar? Or is the story worth it being told again with a remake for 2022?
1: I don't know. I don't think they really need to remake this one, to be honest. I think it it was what it was, and it's there if you want to play it. But I think what Devil May Cry as an IP needs now is is a stable future. Um, And I don't think that going back and reaching back in the past is going to necessarily help that too much. I think they just need to build off of where they left off with five. Which is good. And hopefully put a game out soon, because you want to keep that momentum going, and it's been a few years. So I I, I hope they will not let this – ip drop off again but um it is uh i I think it's better if they just work on sequels and just kind of build from where they they brought people back in and with five um and and, and see how that goes from there but still in all um you know if you're into retro games and you want to try it out and kind of see where a lot of games were inspired uh from uh, this is the one to play for sure for sure yeah All right, so I think that's going to do it uh, for our five more games that define us, Checkpoint Chat. Uh, If you enjoyed this and enjoyed the rest of our episode, please be sure to subscribe to our show. We upload new episodes weekly. Everywhere you want to stream us, we're there. So be sure to sub to us to get uh, those notifications when we uh, post our new episodes. We can also follow us on Instagram at Cooldown Time Podcast or Twitter at Cooldown Time Pod to stay connected with your boys in between episodes if you'd like. Until next time, that's going to do it for Pablo and myself. Uh, happy gaming, and we will see you next week.